Okay, we're uh, we're studying today in First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, uh, beginning with verse twenty. <coughs> what we talked about last week. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as He pleased. And then Paul asked the question, if they were all one member, where would the body be? There was a, a trouble in the church of Corinth because some people didn't have as good a gift as the other fellow did, and they were jealous about it. And they're talking about miraculous gifts. Uh, they wished they had the gift, and they, they felt like they'd been shortchanged. But that's what Paul's talking about. Uh, last week when we discussed this matter. Uh, he's, he's, he's talking about being united and divided at the same time rather than divided. I probably should have wrote di diversity, but uh, united is among the membership of the church, just like the body, the members of the body are united under the control of one head. Uh, if everybody takes their instructions from the head, then uh, all the members do their part, and the body works well. However, if everybody's not listening to the head, then you run into problems where one person, where the foot wants to do the hand's job, or the nose wants to do the <coughs> ear's job, and the body doesn't function the way it's supposed to. He's, it's simple, really. He's just likening the human body unto the body of Christ. It's not hard, um, but I think it's not understood very well. Uh, for one thing, uh, some members don't do anything. And the reason for that is, number one, they don't want to. Number two, they don't know what to do. But... If we were put into the body by Christ, then he has assigned us a responsibility, a job, and we're supposed to do our job, whatever that job may be. Uh, when a leg quits working, it slows down the body, it can't travel as fast anymore. And sometimes you have to amputate the leg, depending on the problem. You amputate the leg to save the body. And the it's the same thing with the body of Christ. When the leg won't do its job, you've got a problem. You're going to have to replace the leg, and that may require amputating the leg. You don't know. But uh, all of us have a job to do in the body of Christ. It's my responsibility to figure out what my job is and then do it to the best of my ability. If I'm going to uh, teach a Bible class, for example, it's my responsibility to do everything I can to prepare to teach a Bible class. Uh, that requires, you know, a lot of study before I get here. Uh, no matter what the job is, we're supposed to be the best we can be, whatever it is we do. If we, if we 
console people. We are to be the best consoler I could possibly be. If uh, we take food to people, then we ought to take our part in a program to being the best that I can be. If I'm going to cook for functions, then I'm going to cook the best that I can cook and send it on to whoever it goes to. There's, there's no such thing as a small job. It's sometimes small minds, but never a small job because it takes every part doing its part. That's the only way it can work efficiently. Uh, and that's what Paul's getting to. The church at Corinth was being bogged down uh, because people weren't doing their jobs, basically. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna smell. I wanna be an arm. And uh, the nose give up smelling. And of course, you got a problem. This is, uh, it, the sense that it's divided is that we have different functions. There's unity among, unity among members and then all the members have different functions. The hand does one thing, the foot does another. Well, am I gonna cut off my foot because I like my hand better? Well, of course not. I like my hand and my foot. I'd like to keep them around for the duration if possible. But uh, there's no uh, favoritism on my part. Uh, the mind, uh, I like them both equally. Now he talks about interdependence and not independence. Independence is to be self-sustaining. Uh, I did it my way, you know, that crazy philosophy the hound dog lived by. Uh, Self-made man, raised himself up by his bootstraps and all this other stuff we were told. There's <laughs> none of that true. We're dependent. You may not like it, but you're dependent. You depend on other people, I depend on other people. That's life. We can't get by on our own. It ain't gonna happen. That's not the way life works. We all depend on someone. Uh, I had, uh, I cooked corn uh, with Friday, I think. I depended on a farmer to grow the corn I depended on someone to put the corn in the can, someone to put it on the shelf, and then me to get the corn. Without the other people, I wouldn't have had any corn because I didn't grow none. I depend on other people, all of us do. Well, that's the same way in the church. Sometimes, uh, mostly it's preachers that get the big hit, but uh, sometimes it might be an elder or whatever. But usually the problem rises up in either a preacher or somebody that's wealthy. Um, that's where you see it the most. They, they think you, you, you owe your existence to me, okay? Because I'm me, you're you. Sometimes people feel like everything hinges on them, that without them, the world stops turning. It doesn't. It's just what people think about their self. Uh, and they're independent. And that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about being independent, not relying on other people, lifting yourself up by your bootstraps. He's talking about interdependence, and that's where I'm a part of the whole. I got a job, you got a job, you got a job, 
and when we all do our job, the body functions properly. If I understand that, no, there's no room to be, have the big head. Uh, nothing hinges on me only. It hinges on the body, which functions as a group in totality, in harmony, union. Um, it's, it's basically simple. Indeed, there are many members, yet there's one body. Look at your hand. I always use illustrations, and I always go back and forth between the hand, the body, and the body of Christ, the human body, the body of Christ. And we know there are many members, and they all have different functions, but there's only one me. There's one body. <clears throat> and the eye, you can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Of course, the eye depends on the hand, and vice versa. Nor, again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. My feet have never felt that way about my hands. They've always loved my hands because my hands do stuff when my feet get them where they need to be. <laughs> we, they all work together, and there's no jealousy. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Now, this is a lesson that has to be understood. Some members of the church, I don't mean this ugly, I don't mean it ugly, but they are, they are almost a wallflower. You'd almost forget they were even here because they're so quiet. They seem to be detached, though they may not be at all, but they seem like a weak Christian. Maybe they don't speak up much. And we look upon these individuals as being weak. Weak members of the body, okay? And this is what Paul is going to go into talking about. <clears throat> members of the body which seem to be weaker, we discover that they too are necessary. Just like the foot's necessary just like the hands necessary. There are parts of the human body which we think to be weaker, but those bodies, those parts are also uh, necessary. You can think of the brain, the heart, the lungs, and the kidneys as what we might consider weaker members of our body. The brain has to be protected by the skull that surrounds it. The heart, the lungs, the kidneys, etc., etc., had to have a cage put around them that they could be protected. They're weaker. My hand doesn't need protection, but my brain, my heart, my lungs, my kidneys, they need protection. So God housed them. He built a house around them so that they would have the protection. They're weaker. This is stronger, okay? This is my strong members. Those are my weak members, okay? That's the way it appears. That's the way it looks. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, don't seem to be so significant. On these we bestow uh, great honor, greater honor, I should say. There are certain parts of the body that we take more care of than we do the weak parts of the body. I didn't get up this morning and tell my lungs to start breathing. They, they do that by themselves. I forget they're there. 
They're, they're, they seem to be, I know they're important, okay? But I never think about them. I don't think about my heart. I don't think about any of that stuff on the inside. But when we go to the mirror, we look at our face and we shave our face or put powder on our face. Uh, we'll fix our hair, make our hair look decent. Uh, we go to great lengths to take care of these parts of the body. We bestow greater honor on these parts of the body. And our unpresentable parts, they have greater modesty. Some parts shouldn't be seen in public. We cover them up. We hide them so that other people can't see them. Uh, you know, one of the worst things I could do to you is stand up here naked. So because I love you so much, I cover myself up so you don't have to look at that. Modesty <clears throat> demands attention. We give attention to certain parts of our body so that other people can't see them. We give them greater care, okay? But our presentable parts, they have no needs. We don't, we don't fool with our fists. Well, women do. They put on paint and stuff, uh, fists and feet. Men don't. Uh, I never fool with either one. Uh, sometimes I soak my feet, but uh, I really don't pay much attention to them as long as they keep me going. Um, these are the, the strong parts. These are the, the preachers, the elders, so on and so forth that have the strength the ones we admire the most. But God composed the body, having get, given greater honor to that part which lacks it, the internal organs and things of that nature. Uh, he built in a protection for them, to protect them because they're vulnerable, to protect them because those are the most important parts of the body. What would you rather lose, your heart or your right arm? your left arm or your lung. You know, just as good as I know, the internal parts, we lose them, we die. But I can lose a leg or an arm and I can still live. So even though they seem to be insignificant parts, parts I never give any thought to, they are beyond our wildest imagination, the more important parts of all, the greatest parts the parts that should receive the greater honor, but may not. In Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 18, Paul, or Solomon rather, talks about this very thing. He said, this wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. He learned something from what he witnessed. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came up against that city and he besieged it. He built great snares all around that city. Now there was found in it a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, he delivered the city. Who is this guy? He's nobody. He's not a, he's not a chief. He's not a leader. He's a guy that you, know, you see passing by once in a while. But he also had much wisdom. 
which was unknown, obviously. Somehow, some way, he persuaded the opposing king to back off and leave him alone. Why? Because he was wise enough to know how to do it. Out of all the people in the city, there's one little and insignificant man that most people probably know what his name was. He had the capability of getting rid of that other army. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Even though he delivered the town, nobody could recall his name. Who was that guy that had something to do with the king leaving? And then I said, wisdom. Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. That's kind of the way we treat the heart, the lung, the brain, etc. We don't give them much thought. We don't think about them. But they're the most important parts of the body as far as our survival goes. What do we pay attention to? We pay attention to the face. We pay attention to the hair. We pay attention to the arms and the legs to make sure these things are powerful instruments. We can live without these instruments, but we can't live without the others. And it's that way in the church also, and that's Paul's point. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I don't know why I added that in there. Uh, in the body of Christ, usually the principals, those who receive the greatest honor, is the preacher, the elders, the teachers, the wealthy, the popular. And we don't like to say the wealthy because James said we're not supposed to do that. We all know the wealthy usually get special attention. That's, it's always been that way. They have a lot of money and can do a lot of great things, and we gotta, we got to keep them happy. Uh, yet there could be a, a, a person, a quiet, godly person in the congregation, a wallflower, and when a problem arises, we all get our heads together and we try to figure out how to solve this problem, and there's one quiet, godly person. He utters a prayer, and great things happen kind of like the man in Solomon's uh, account. Uh, how much is accomplished through the prayer of a righteous person? Uh, yeah, I have, I, have, I have no idea. Could, could more be accomplished through a righteous person's prayer than through uh, two sermons a preacher preaches? I know that's the case. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James said. So while we, we, we pay accolades to the preacher, the elders, the teacher, the wealthy, the popular, the most important person in the congregation might be that wallflower. Yeah, I, I can recall. Yeah, I can recall his name. I've seen him a thousand times, but we don't remember who he is. And uh, he can pray a great prayer. He can deliver us from evil or be the root cause of it. And uh, we never know what he did for us. 
What's the point? Every member is important. The job isn't little. If that's the job, God designed a person to do. When we think of it that way, we're showing our ignorance because the least of all may at the same time be the greatest of all. And I think, I think that's very important. I think that's pretty much true with us. I don't know, I wouldn't say it's 100%, but I, I've, I've watched over the years and I think that's pretty much the case. I don't know if anybody's been snubbed, not to my knowledge. Uh, I think we've done well in that area. Okay, Philippians 2, 1 through 4, Paul said, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each person esteem the others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. The two great commands, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> I've always believed that if we can do those two things, the next step is heaven. If I love Christ, I'll do whatever he wants me to do because I want him to be happy. I want him to love me too. I do it because I love him. And because I love him, I, I do stuff. Christianity is about love. For all that we do, and we do a lot, for all that we do. In the final analysis, it comes down to love. You know, you, 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 can, you can preach sermons. You can teach children in Bible classes. You can be a great door knocker. You can be a great personal evangelist. We can have the greatest food program of all. We can be the greatest at every single thing we do. But if there isn't love, if it isn't based, built on, motivated by love, there's no value in any of it. Well, temporary value for those who receive our blessings, but not for us as individuals. The most important thing of all, the church Corinth didn't have that love. If they did, they wouldn't have been jealous. They wouldn't have been envious of the others. They would have taken the gifts that God gave them and they would have been satisfied with it. If God gave me this gift, it must be the thing I'm best suited for. And they would have been the best them they could have been doing what God assigned them to do. And the same thing is true today. David would rather be a, a door opener at the temple of God 
if that was his job to do. Very important. The strong, those who are strong in the church, and some people are stronger than others, let's face it. Some people have more visibility. That's what I'm talking about by strength. I'm not talking about moral fortitude or anything of that nature. I'm talking about the, the strength because of the ability given to certain individuals because of their role in the church, okay? <clears throat> What's their job? Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. They're the ones that are supposed to make sure that that wallflower doesn't go unnoticed. They're the ones that are supposed to make sure that care is given when care is needed. Those who have this great opportunity have a great responsibility, and that is to help those who may have the appearance of being weaker. I emphasize appearance because what may appear weak may actually be the strongest of all. Uh, but that's our responsibility. A moment of great surprise is going to wait many people in the judgment. Most people, without a doubt, according to the Lord himself, most people are going to stand before him in the judgment and they're going to have the greatest surprise in their life they ever had. Second Corinthians 5 and 10 Paul said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You and I one day will get to stand there, and Jesus, the great judge, will preside over the assembly. The reason for our being there, that each person may receive according to the things they have done in the body, according to what he actually has done, whether good or bad. I'm going to be judged. Did I love God? Did I love my fellow man? Did I love other members of the church? Were they of great importance to me? Did I try to nurture and take care of you? And you take care of us? Is that what we did? If a person, as I said a moment ago, if a person loves Jesus, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14 or 15 or 15 and 14, one or the other. If you love me, you will keep my commands. That's what love does. If I love the Lord, everything is going to work out. Everything's going to take care of its place. I don't have to worry about it because when I, when I come to knowledge, of responsibility as a child of God. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to fight about it. I'm not going to argue over it. I'm simply going to do it because that's what love does. It makes me do. So if you actually love the Lord and we love one another, we're going to be judged according to what we have done, whether good or bad. Love is good. And our our judgment will be successful. Of all things, love is most important. And when I talk about love, uh, I'm not talking about emotional, you know, that stuff. I'm talking about I want you to succeed. I want you to be safe. I want you to be healthy. 
I talk about doing for you what I can to help make you the best you you can be. That's the kind of love we are supposed to possess. Not the kind, the emotional. That's a, that's a different filial love. That's different love. Uh, we, we, we possess such love, but God never commanded such love. He never commanded us to filial one another. Never. And the reason is you can't command it. You can't, you can't say, hey, love that woman with all your heart. You can't do that. Either you do or you don't. Either you get that warm and fuzzy feeling or you don't. You can't make yourself have a warm, fuzzy feeling. You can't order it. That's a natural phenomenon. We have no control over that. What we do have control over, however, is our will. And we can will to love one another. And that's what we must do. Because we want to be received by Jesus in the judgment. Baptism and all that stuff, it's all important. Don't misunderstand me. But like I said a moment ago, if I love the Lord and I love you as I love myself, baptism, the Lord's Supper, worshiping God in song, all these things are going to follow. They're just going to naturally follow. If there isn't love, I mean, you know, people that want to fight and argue, what's, what's missing? Love. They don't love the Lord. If they love the Lord, they wouldn't argue with him. They just do it. But if they don't love the Lord, <clears throat> they will argue. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Most all of us hide something from everybody else. There are things about me I don't want you to know. Okay? I really, really, really don't want you to know. And I keep it a secret. A very, very tight secret. And you probably got the same kind of secrets. Is the Lord going to expose me in the day of judgment for that? No, I don't. Have, I used to worry about that. Oh Lord, Mama, fine. He hears that. I'm in deep. I'm in for it. I couldn't bear the thoughts of Mama hearing some things, but she won't hear it. Why? They're forgiven. And what happens when they're forgiven? They're forgotten. It, the Lord forgets them. I don't, but He does. He forgets them. So in the day of judgment, he's not going to bring up all the stuff I did before I become a Christian. What's he going to bring up? He's going to bring up the things I'm guilty of in the judgment, whatever that may be. I may be uh, an adulterer in, in a traffic accident. I go to meet my maker. What's going to be brought up in the judgment? The fact that I was adultery. This is why I'm going to be rejected. I, 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 I expect to know why I'm being condemned. And I will. Because the Lord will reveal it in that day. But not those things we've repented of. They're gone good riddance.
they're gone. Many who are first, Jesus said, will be last, the last first. Sometimes, uh, I know I've always uh, thought of certain individuals as extremely godly people. Uh, I've always been partial to uh, preachers. Uh, there's been a lot of men that had a horrendous effect on my life, and uh, I've always loved them like crazy. The problem was I always put them up on a pedestal, which I should never have done. It wasn't fair to them, actually, that I do that. But I would come to think, if I could be as godly as that person. <clears throat> but that's not what we're supposed to be doing. If I can be as godly as I can be, well, that's good enough for the Lord. I don't have to measure up to anybody. I'm not going to be measured according to Guy in the Woods. The Lord isn't going to measure me that way. He's going to measure me against myself, what he knew I could do and what I did. It's that simple. What I <clears throat> accomplished and what I didn't accomplish. And when I talk about love, I think, I think of that as an accomplishment because uh, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was to learn how to love other people. That was so hard for me to do. First of all, I'm not trustworthy at all. Not till I get to know you. But I don't trust people. Uh, I just don't. I've got I've to learn through observation if a person is trustworthy or not. And sometimes you get it wrong still. But I can't just trust somebody because they say, trust me. That just don't work with me. Uh, I've always been uh, extremely cautious, and uh, a lot of people I don't like. There's a lot of people. I, you ever go to Walmart in Cookville? Man, there are some ratty people up there. I mean, it's horrible. Sometimes it, I got the way I don't even like to go to the place. One thing is too big. Another one is... Uh, there's people in there, they'll run you over. They don't care if you got a cane in your hand or not. <laughs> they'll put you on the ground. Uh, there's, there's, I don't like a lot of people. And I used to think about having to love people's enemy. Love your enemy? Love, you've got to be kidding. Love your enemy? There was no way I could love my enemy. Uh, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do was to learn how to love others. I, it was so hard for me. It was so simple once I figured out how to do it, but it took me a long time to figure out how to do it. And uh, actually, I learned it from King David. Uh, he, uh, he had contempt for some people uh, because they were evil, and they, they took wealth from others and accumulated it for themselves. And that, that they would go to the temple and worship. And David, David found this to be a, a, an abhorring thing. He, he despised, he detested these people so much. And he said, then one day I went into the temple to worship. And I don't know if it was red or what happened, but then it dawned on me. There's a day of judgment that they're going to face. And in that day, what lies beyond for them? 
And he said, I learned to feel sorry for him. And I, I learned to feel sorry for people. Because when, when I watch people who are evil, they get away with it here, but that's only for a certain amount of time. And if they don't change their ways in the judgment, they're going to go to an everlasting fire. I can't imagine what that's like. I tried. I can't imagine what that's like. And you, and you don't burn up. If you burned up, there'd be hope. But you don't burn up. It's just, will God really do that? Oh, he said he would. <laughs> I take him at his word. Um, yeah. There's people who profit off of others like us. Uh, especially, you know, in government, you know, they, you know, well, the federal government's going to give so much money to these people over here. The federal government hasn't got any money. The federal government's broke. The federal government takes money away from you and gives it to this person now over here. The federal government doesn't do nothing other than take money from some in order to help others. The government is a... a a great deceiver, and there's a lot of people in government uh, simply because that's where all the money's at. Uh, if you want to get rich in America, one of the places to be is Microsoft, <laughs> or, or you might be in the, in the government. These are good places to go to accumulate wealth. Okay, okay, you can do it, and you can get away with it. Nobody's going to punish you. That becomes obvious in time. <laughs> but one day you got to stand before the Lord. And in that day, well, that'll be the last day you'll ever smile. And then that makes me sad. And another thing I learned is you don't have to like people. That's a good one, because there's a lot of people I just don't like, and you don't have to like people. You got to try to uh, tolerate people. You got to bear with people, but you don't have to like them. Some people just are not lovable, likable, and for that reason, you can't like them. You don't want to be around them. You don't want to go out on a town with them. You don't want them coming to your house. You don't want to associate with them because you don't like them. That's okay. That's okay. You won't like everybody. And the people you don't like, you probably got a pretty good reason for not liking them. That's not something we have to be afraid of. But we got to do them good if they need our help and our assistance. Out of everything I've ever talked about in my life, as a Bible teacher, the most important thing of all I could ever possibly teach is Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. You love God, you love your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing more than that. And that's the hardest thing there is to do. It's, it's so hard 
because it's contrary to our nature, our human nature. That's why the flesh and the spirit, they're at war with each other all the time. And uh, we have to knock it out. But this is the point that Paul's trying to get around to the Corinthians. He just doesn't take as many words as I do. Suffering is related to reward more than it is success, I do believe. In Matthew 20, verses 20-22, the wife of Zebedee, James and John's mama, made a request of Jesus one day. And the Lord said, well, what do you wish? She said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right, the other on your left, in the kingdom. The two highest positions of honor, the right and the left of the king. Let my boys sit there. I can understand a mama wanting that. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink, be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And the two apostles responded, yes, we are able. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. That means a portion of life that's coming. Okay, it's not actually drinking something. The cup is your cup in life. What We all have a cup, cup in life. What is in front of us? You will indeed drink my cup. You will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, he said, that's not mine to give. It is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Here's two apostles. They wanted to sit on the right and the left of the Lord in the kingdom. And Jesus said, I can't give you those positions. Those are positions that are going to be determined by my Father. Well, who do you reckon is going to get that position? It might be that unknown man who prayed. The greatest in the kingdom. To us, we see men in the limelight. The greatest in the kingdom may be someone we're not at all familiar with, at least not very well. It'd be a surprise, I suppose. Something to think about. We'll get back to our lesson next week. I wanted to spend some time on love this morning because uh, it's very important.